Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. Welcome back to Ghost of a Podcast. Did you think I forgot it was pride? You know I didn't. Hey, my gays, I love you. Fucking love you. This week's question is from two queer men, a woman, and a baby. Such a good title. And if you don't know why, it's because you haven't watched enough movies from the 1980s. Anyways, the question goes like this. I have been in a relationship now for nearly four years with an amazing man. Before we had ever met, he had agreed to be the sperm donor for one of his friends, of which I was aware. Now, in less than two months, we will be joined by a baby girl or whatever gender the little one feels. I'm absolutely thrilled. I dream about the kid nearly every night. I can't wait to be a plus papa, as they say in Flanders. But the mother of the baby and my man are very career-oriented and have important jobs at important places. Career-wise, my life has been a disaster. I'm brown, queer, and a double immigrant. My parents moved me from Guatemala when I was three, and I left my whole life in the U.S. behind for love and now reside in Belgium. Even before coming to Belgium, I had no real career or career trajectory. I'd rather do unpaid or low-paid activist work while being the more at-home parent for my child. Someone has to bake the bread and change the diapers for the revolution, and I think that's my role. As a brown queer man who will be helping raise a white baby, I think it will be an interesting and important responsibility, and I am already in love with this little one enormously. Family and personal relationships have been the richest parts of my life, both in amazing and sometimes terrible ways, while my career has been non-existent to dull. My husband is a bit in disbelief that I would, quote, give up what's in my best interest in order to be the stay-at-home parent and to volunteer. I explain that I really feel it's my calling and that being a caretaker is what would make me happiest. Is there something in my chart that accounts for this imbalance between career and personal relationships in my life? Okay, so there are so many parts to this question. And what really surprised me was actually the last line, two queer men, a woman and a baby. You gave me all this really important background to the question, but really what you focused on at the end of your question was about your career and, you know, why you would de-emphasize career in favor for uh, parenting. So I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to answer other parts of your question that you didn't exactly put question marks on. Watch me go. Okay. First of all, two queer men and baby is very, it's a lot of words. That's a very long title. I'm just going to call you Butch because I think it's cute and kind of funny. So it's what I'm doing. I'm going to call you Butch. Okay, Butch. So first I will share your birth data. Butch was born May 18th, 1986 at 6.15 a.m. in Guatemala City, Guatemala. So let's start with the part of your question that you put a question mark on, which is about career versus personal relationships. So there's actually a lot of things in your chart that speak to both of those topics, but of course, but I want to just pull back before I even try to answer it to say this. Capitalism would have us believe, and you know, capitalism is a really important thing for us to acknowledge. It's not like innate to human nature or anything. So while we can see through the birth chart who embraces capitalism, how and why, who thrives within capitalism, how and why, it's not like 
being a good capitalist, being good at organizing your life in linear time or structuring your life around work that pays well. It's not like those things are inherently good. I mean, they certainly are high functioning in the world we live in. They're certainly convenient and useful, but they're not like morally or spiritually superior. I just want to be clear about that. Maybe I didn't need to be. Maybe that's obvious. But I feel like it's worth stating here uh, because I certainly think that if one is an artist or a parent or an activist or uh, really any number of things that are of very high value to society, to humanity, but also to an individual's human soul and heart, right? Even if it doesn't make money, it doesn't mean it's not excellent. It's not wonderful. So I want to just state that and then point to your birth chart. You have a Sun-Mercury conjunction in the sign of Taurus, and it's in the 12th house. And when we have planets in the 12th house, they certainly have the potential to be more internally motivated than externally motivated. And so what that will mean in the context of living in a capitalistic society is that your primary interests and goals and the way your thoughts kind of flow is more focused on internal conditions than external conditions. Now, that's not the only part of your truth. And that doesn't mean that that doesn't equal a career. You know, I also have the sun in the 12th house and I am interested in internal conditions, a.k.a. I'm an astrologer. I counsel people, right? One doesn't mean you won't work in the world. It simply means career is not the point when you have planets in the 12th house. You know, those planets are going to be focused not on the kind of outcome career part, but instead the internal process part. Now, you also have a moon-Jupiter opposition, and you have the moon in the fourth house. And so what this means is exactly what you said in your question, which is you are interested in activism. You are interested in making the world a better place. But when you've got the moon in the fourth house, it creates a tendency to be self-reflective and to really need a lot of time at home. Moon in the fourth house people often love a good putter. You know what I mean? Like putter around the house. That's deeply fortifying when you have this aspect. Because you have Uranus in the seventh house and it forms a square to Jupiter in the 10th house, for you, I would imagine that making a choice around career, like this is the one thing I'm going to do. This is like, this is, you know, I'm going to make a commitment to just doing this one job, uh, probably feels pretty shitty to you. It feels really limiting. You really thrive when you feel like you have freedom to choose what you're going to do today or how you're going to engage. And so that you're not super career oriented does not surprise me. That you are interested in activism, Yes, that is clearly written in your chart. And alongside that, there is, you know, indications of being interested in education. So whether that means working within education or wanting to parent a child and really be heavily involved in their education, not just their like academics, but their cultural education, right? That's really, uh, it is clearly articulated in your birth chart and also in your question, right? Now, one more thing, which is you have Saturn conjunct the descendant, which means you have Saturn opposite the ascendant. And this particular aspect, it can indicate some very trying or uh, labor intensive things about relationships. But it also indicates the potential for monogamy 
and stability within relationships. TBH, you also have Uranus in the seventh house, which is an indicator of non-monogamy. So, you know, I wonder if you guys have an open door policy or if at times you've been in non-monogamous relationships, but that Saturn on the descendant tends to be pretty damn monogamous and absolutely the marrying kind, right? You know, for you, relationships are compelling. They are clear for you. That feeling that I mentioned that you have of feeling really resistant to committing yourself to like one thing career-wise, you don't have that around relationships. You are really willing to invest in individual relationships over the course of time. It doesn't feel like a compromise to you, even when it's a pain in your ass, <laughs> right? So that's all the relationship and career questions. But here's where I, I, I kind of have a little bit of a cause for concern. The idea that you would be a stay-at-home parent, that does not concern me at all. I could see you being really fucking into that. However, you, my dear, have Pluto in the sixth house. And when we have the planet Pluto in the sixth house, there is a risk that you will work yourself to the bone and then be deeply resentful of what you've been doing. Okay. And so I want to give you advice about a whole lot of things, but I want you to know that part of my advice is in acknowledgement that at the beginning of relationships and the beginning of dynamics, you are really comfortable making big commitments. But over the course of time, resentments can emerge. And I want to get ahead of those resentments with you. The other thing is money. Money is sticky. Money is complicated for you. It certainly isn't like your biggest motivation. It's your chart does not indicate that at all. However, we do live in a capitalistic world and you're going to need to hopefully retire one day or, you know, have money to do things in the world. So we have to be realistic about that. Let me get into some some shit with you here. Okay. I really believe that whenever we endeavor to co-parent with someone, it is before the child arrives that is the best time to have uncomfortable conversations that are not romantic about the contractual and responsibility-based components of co-parenting. Because the reality is you don't have a baby forever. No one has a baby forever. Babies quickly become toddlers and then they become children and then they become insolent teens. Eventually, they become people who just like ideally one day move out of your house and live their own lives, right? So there needs to be some sort of a plan. Let me start with the beginning. You mentioned that he's your husband, so you're married. I encourage you to come up with some sort of a contract. And it doesn't have to be a legally binding contract, but I would encourage you to come up with some sort of a contract, either between you and your husband, or you, your husband, and your baby's mom. Because when we all get along, when everybody is like in love with the baby to be and excited about what comes, is the best time to make agreements about what your rights are. Let me explain. If both of your co-parents, your throuple of co-parents, are out in the world making big money in their big companies, and you are staying at home and not making money, then they have a power in the relationship. Now, there is the racial component to it as well, which you mentioned in your question. And I feel like it is an important component because we live in a world where whiteness commands a certain amount of economic privilege and power in the world. I don't need to explain this to you. You obviously fucking know this. But 
not dissimilar for heterosexual couples when the female person stays at home and doesn't work and the male person goes out in the world, makes new friends, meets new people, builds up their professional and economic power in the world. It puts women at a disadvantage, right? It's a similar thing. It's a very similar thing. In this situation, the power differential is around race. And I think it's really an important thing for me to name because when your child grows up, what what happens then? Are your partners comfortable with you continuing to be the stay-at-home parent? Are they willing and able, because it sounds like they both have money or access to money, are they willing and able to put aside money for you? You know, whether that means into a savings account for you or a retirement fund for you, because they're going to be making money that goes into retirement funds, right? And it is a little bit risky. You know, what your husband pointed out is that you would be giving up what's in your best interest to be a stay-at-home parent and to volunteer. And I mean, I think you're saying really clearly that it's not in your best interest to go into a corporate world. But what he's kind of getting at, which I do think is important for you to hear, is that you won't have economic power. You will be completely dependent on these two people. And without some sort of agreements around what that means and what that looks like over the course of time, it's not super self-protective of you to do. So here's my question. How does housework fit into all this? So if you're the stay-at-home parent and you're taking care of this sweet little baby human person, are you expected to cook? Are you expected to clean? Are you on an allowance? How does this work? Tangibly speaking, come up with agreements and plans. And if this is uncomfortable to talk about, then you really fucking need to do this. (laughs) Because the reality is these things will come up. I've been counseling people on this topic for decades, and it always comes up. Unless both parties have access to independent wealth, this always comes up. And there's a way that the more agreements that the three of you have around how you will take care of yourself and how they will take care of you, that will support you in not taking care of your child. Taking care of your child seems like the the easy no-brainer part of all this. But it will support you in not self-sacrificing in a way that is unfair or not sustainable. Make these kinds of agreements at the beginning. I know it's awkward. I know it's not romantic, but this is the time to do it. And again, it sounds like your husband's really aware that you are giving up power to stay at home. And I don't mean power... (laughs) you know, in a way that is necessarily that relevant to you right now. But economic power is the power to take care of yourself in a capitalistic world. And here we are. Now, there's one last thing that I think needs to be discussed between you and your co-parents, and that's your activism. It's important that the three of you have a conversation or a series of conversations about everyone's risk tolerance for your activism with the child. Is everyone comfortable with you bringing a child to protests if you put your body on the streets? It's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. You know, in this very digital world, it's hard to keep your kid separate from your activism. And there's hateful, shitty fucking people in the world. So this is a really important thing because part of what you're naming as a life that you really want to live is parenting and activism. But if either of your co-parents are actually not really when they really think it through comfortable with your activism, how you choose to participate as an activist, 
in the context of the vulnerability of your child, you need to know that straight out the gate. Again, otherwise you might feel trapped. And when you feel trapped, my dear butch, it's like it brings out the worst in you. That's that Pluto in the sixth house. That's that Saturn on the descendant. For you, you need to feel like there are clear agreements and you kind of have a sense of what the boundaries of them are, what your entitlements are, what your responsibilities are. And then you can work within that. Making assumptions will backfire on you here. You have such a queer family. You have such a queer family and I love it. But I want to say, while you've got your queer family, queer the conversation, you know, make no assumptions, get in there, get interested in all the details, make agreements with your co-parents about what your queer family is going to look like and how you're going to take care of each other and make those agreements now while everyone loves each other and nothing is especially hard. You know what I mean? That'll really help. And if you're like, well, we can only plan for X amount of time. Okay. In 2020, everyone has a calendar, right? A digital calendar. Just book something for two years from now to like check back in or whatever. But make sure that you have a system for checking in with your agreements because you might right now think, oh, yes, you know, I love cooking. I love childcare. I can commit to both those things. Well, you might not feel that way if you don't sleep for two years because your baby isn't sleeping. I don't know. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. There needs to be a kind of way for the for the three of you to be able to talk about this stuff so that nobody is horrified if the rules of the game change. And by nobody, I mean you. I mean, maybe them too. But honey, I mean you. So one last thing I want to say. You have something called the North Node in Aries. And what really stands out to me about this is in this lifetime, you get to self-define. It's really important that you give yourself the latitude to self-define. You know you want a parent. You know that you don't want to like be a careerist, right? You know that about yourself. And I'm happy to share with you the astrological context for some of that. But you already knew this about yourself. What I want to encourage you to know is that if you can truly give yourself the permission to self-define, to say, this is who I am and this is what I want, then the next step becomes protecting yourself or advocating for yourself around that, right? And that means having really direct conversations, which a lot of your chart indicates you're not super comfortable with. You have Venus in the first house. You've got that Mercury-Sun conjunction in the sign of Taurus in the 12th house. And those things all indicate that you can be a little indirect as a way to not be upsetting, right? Now, you have other things in your chart that actually say the complete opposite, that you can put your foot in your mouth and be really, really, really blunt. Uh, you know, I think they're both true about you. But if you're not giving yourself permission to self-define, that's where you're more likely to be kind of like diplomatically indirect, to not advocate for yourself. And so this is why I'm kind of pointing it out in the context of your question, because within the context of your question, there's a lot of things that you need to do for you as a way to take care of your family and the long-term happiness inside of it. Congratulations on your new gaby. If you're celebrating Canada Day or the 4th of July, learn about colonialism, past, present, and ongoing. Educate yourself about whose land you're living on, and if you can, make a monetary donation or pay a land tax to that tribe. Visit our native land at native-land.ca. The link is in show notes. Okay, we have 
per usual. A lot to talk about. This week, we're looking at the astrology of June 28th through July 4th of 2020. So I guess we'll just begin at the beginning, shall we? Well, let me maybe first say this. It's still eclipse season. There will be another lunar eclipse on the night of the 4th in California, where I am. But you know, it's going to be on the 5th in many parts of the world. So right late at night, the 4th, 5th. And if you've been feeling all kinds of ways, if you've been feeling overwhelmed, if you find that the themes in your life, in your psyche, are really, really hard for you to bear, if you find that you are emotionally overwhelmed, uh, it is, of course, the social uprising. It is, of course, the global pandemic. It is, of course, economic strain and all the things. But also, it's the fucking eclipses. It's a lot. And it is meant to be a lot. It is meant to be a time of evolution and transformation. Anything that really needs to evolve inside of you or in the world at large, it's not functioning ideally, right? It's not serving you or the world. And so confronting that and being emotionally present with that as an eclipse will require of us uh, is painful. And very normal, natural human response to pain is to fight it or avoid it or fix it. And that's not what's called for now. Now it's time to be interested in the roots of what is hurting you. It is time to be interested in the roots of how you may have caused harm. This is a time for being emotionally present and striving to become more emotionally capable. And it's painful. It's overwhelming. It's a lot. And I just want to validate that for you. It's a lot. It's okay if you're not perfect at this. I dare say no one is. No one is. This is hard. So be gentle with yourself. Stop looking for someone to blame. I'm talking about your personal life in this moment. <laughs> you can blame lots of people uh, for world issues. Stop looking to explain away your experience. Step into your experience. Be present with your experience. Don't abandon yourself in your experience. So you can do what fucking needs to be done, you know? Because something needs to be done. Maybe it's less action. Maybe it's more. But something needs to change. So explore that. Don't look for quick answers. There are no quick answers. That's your damn answer. Okay? Okay. Okay, now I'm going to go to your horoscope. On June 28th, we have an exact Mars sextile to Saturn. Thank you, universe. That is a lovely transit. Mars sextile to Saturn is just really great for getting things done. It's great for stabilizing plans. You know, so like taking all your passion for what you want to get done or what you want to uh, mobilize on and committing it to a calendar or enlisting the kind of like guidance and mentorship that you need in order to mobilize effectively in a project or whatever. This is a great time for applying what you've learned. Okay. And that's in practical terms. The nice thing about Mars and Saturn when they meet in such a lovely, benefic aspect like a sextile. And if you don't know what a sextile is, go back and listen to episode 101, the astrology hot takes on aspects and transits, and it'll explain it all to you. But yeah, when we see these two planets in a sextile, it's quite lovely. TBH. It's just quite lovely. So uh, you can expect 
to not really notice it if you don't do anything to activate it. If you are doing something to activate it, it's great. If you've been having sex with someone and the potential is there, but it's just, they just don't quite get what you want. This trance is actually really great for instructing a bitch. I'm basically just saying, tell your lovers what you enjoy in bed, uh, but make it astrological. You know what I mean? The 28th is great for uh, stabilizing your preferences in your sexual encounters by being forthcoming about them. Honestly, most days are good for that, but this day in particular. On the 29th, we have the second of three hits from the Jupiter conjunction to Pluto in Capricorn. Now, the first of these hits was on April 4th. Nothing much was going on in April, right? Right, guys? And here it is happening again on the 29th. It will reoccur for its final hit on November 12th with a transit from outer planets that is happening to your birth chart or between outer planets, you know, to each other in the sky, as is in this case, you know, Jupiter is sitting on top of Pluto in the sign of Capricorn. Often what will happen because these slow moving planets retrograde so frequently is that they'll form an exact transit and then they'll go away and then they'll come back and form an exact transit and then they'll go away. And then on their way forward, they'll make that third and final direct aspect. And this transit is about so many things. It is bringing up so much in the world, including the spread of activism throughout the globe as people, not just in the United States, are standing up against anti-Black racism. As people, not just in the United States, are standing up against police brutality and systemic racism. This is in many ways an effect of this transit. Honestly, there's so much astrologically happening in this year and in next year that it's not just one thing, but this is a major piece of it. Jupiter conjunction to Pluto represents a shift in society where we can come together and be willing to let go of and destroy even, that's Pluto's way, old ways that never served us or are no longer serving us and replace it with more just, more humane systems. Jupiter. Now we're seeing like this very literal articulation of that with the beheading and uh, destruction of racist monuments. More of that, please. More of that. And I imagine we'll see more of that. As we look at this, the date of this exact transit, but also, you know, just the general like time around it, we want to really pay attention to not just the strides we are making in regards to social justice and developing greater social justice. We also want to make sure that we're paying attention to what is happening in the backlash, right? Because every action has its reaction because we want to use that information to prepare ourselves because the transit keeps on going, right? It keeps on going into uh, what is election time in the United States in November of 2020. So this is a really important period to pay attention to, to be interested. Another thing that I think is really important for me to acknowledge is that April 3rd, April 4th, right? Somewhat early days of COVID-19 or the kind of more of a national response to and acknowledgement of it. And so I think that it's really important that we recognize that there is some sort of a theme emerging with the spread of COVID-19. So I want to urge you to please remember 
to wash your damn hands, to wear a mask, just wear a mask, you know, you can make it fashion. Do you need to make it fashion? Because you can make it fashion. Just wear a damn mask, protect the community, protect the vulnerable amongst us, protect the uninsured, protect the old, protect the hypochondriacal, like, come on, just wear a goddamn mask, protect yourself, protect all of us. Thank you very much. So we should see some sort of major shifts this week uh, politically uh, in the response to COVID and in the fight for justice. Now, that actually brings us to the 30th. And on the 30th, we have Mercury forming a sextile to Uranus and the sun meeting both Mercury, which is retrograde. Just let's all remember who could forget, really. Are you having technical issues? Because I'm having technical issues. So many technical issues. So the sun meets Mercury and Uranus in the sky on the 30th as well. Now, like I said, Mercury is retrograde. But this day, there's just like a lot of energy. It's a lot of Mercury and it's a lot of Uranus. And so depending on your nature and where these transits will hit your birth chart, this may be a day where you feel really inspired, where you figure things out, where you find the right book that just opens your mind to the idea you've been struggling with. And it might be the time where you meet someone new or you have a conversation that sparks something, something really creative and insightful. This, these transits can be kind of marks of genius and, or rather ingenuity, right? Uh, they can be times where you just have some sort of synergy between yourself and others or in your thinking. It's great. Excellent. Now, unfortunately, the other way it can play out is by you feeling completely overwhelmed and overstimulated. It can make you feel like you're just your nervous system is really being attacked. It can make you feel really overstimulated and like you can't take in any more information because you're buzzing. So I encourage you to be incredibly uh, moderate about your consumption of stimulants. Don't drink too much coffee, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, just be really conservative around that stuff if you can. I also want to encourage you to respect your limits. If your nerves are shot, it's okay to take a step back from learning new things. It's okay if you, uh, you know, let your friends know like, oh, I, I'm going to put my head under the covers today and I'm not going to be able to respond to texts. It's okay if you decide around this date that you can't do the things you were planning on doing, but instead you need to tend to your nerves. Again, I want to reiterate the need for us to all have sustainable practices in this really unprecedented time. Because while there's been pandemics before and there have been social uprisings before, this, this like interconnectedness and this being in constant contact that the internet allows for slash demands, that shit is new. And to have that kind of constant pressure to be engaged and to have information pushed at you and for you to be responsive to that information in a time where there is so much unlearning and learning and need for us all to be participating in the world consciously. It's just a lot. And on days like this, where transits like these are occurring, it could kind of go either way on you. And so you just want to do what you would do in a yoga class. If they tell you to like do some sort of weird exercise, and it hurts your knees, uh, just double up your mat. I just learned that. Yeah, my knees hurt. 
That's true. So I doubled up my mat under my knees. It was an adjustment. And you know what? My knees still hurt, but they didn't hurt as much. And that was cool. In other words, just make an adjustment if you need to make an adjustment so that you can stay with the work, whatever the work means, whether it's in your personal life or in the world at large. And my hope is it's in both. Okay, that brings us to the 1st of July, 2020. That's the day that Saturn moves back into the sign of Capricorn. This is a really important shift that is occurring. We had Saturn in Capricorn for a couple years, right? We know that. I've talked about it a ton. As of March, Saturn moved into Aquarius. And at that time, we had social distancing. (laughs) We had COVID-19 and a much needed social uprising occur. And one that is actually not dissimilar at core from what was happening in the 1960s, the time before last that Saturn was in Aquarius. Okay. But here we are. Saturn is back in Capricorn for a few months and it will not come back to Capricorn, to the sign of Capricorn for another 29 years. So I want to really just like dig in for a moment to the importance of this moment. And it will go back into Aquarius in mid-December of 2020. So we have a few months to really capitalize on this period. Yes, I capitalize. That's a Capricorn word. That's right. So listen, let me speak on something that is really important to my heart. There are many ways to achieve social change. And I think that these months with when Saturn was in Aquarius, we have seen the power of social activism and bodies on the street, people coming together. And I'm a huge fan of that. And we are going to have more of that. I am sure of it. And I am really enthusiastic about that. But in order to achieve lasting social change, I do think there is a value in learning from the conservative right. And let's be fair, the conservative right are, you know, capitalists and uh, it's the patriarchy and it's white supremacists, right? They're all interconnected uh, isms, if you will. They have hundreds of years of organizing and infrastructure and legacies of support and entitlement behind them, right? What the conservative right has very effectively done within the existing uh, political system is this kind of like centralized activism where many, many people are given a spoon and pointed to a wall and told to dig. And what I mean by that is they are insistent and consistent with their values. They are insistent and consistent with their demands. They are insistent and consistent with where they put their money and where they put their support. And they vote and they vote. Now, listen, I'm not trying to tell you that you have to work within the system in order to affect change. That's not everybody's way. That's not the only way. We have to have a multi-pronged approach to changing such deep and entrenched systems as white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism. And I believe we can't change one without changing the other, not effectively, not sustainably. We got to change them all. This is, this is what I'm getting at here. Saturn and Capricorn is an excellent time to get involved in the unsexy, unglamorous, uninstagrammable or boringly Instagrammable parts of activism. It's writing letters, writing letters, writing letters every damn day, a couple times a week, once a week, whatever your life can hold. Saturn in Capricorn is a really effective time to do the mundane, unglamorous work that needs to be done for social change. 
in order to have systemic change. We must have systemic approaches. We must, we must change the system. And there are ways of changing the system from outside of the system. But unless we're going to blow the whole system up, which is a great tweet, you know what I mean? It's a good sound boy. Like, let's burn it all to the ground. But literally, we can't burn it all to the ground. Can we? Can we literally burn it all to the ground? How are you going to keep some people non-burnt if you burn it all to the ground? There needs to be work outside of the system, but there also needs to be work inside of the system. Honestly, I am overwhelmed by how many questions I'm getting from listeners, in particular white people, who are like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know that I'm waking up. I know that I have a call to activism, and I don't know what it is. And I want to say to you, to all of you, if you don't know what to do, email your damn representatives, complain, make some noise. If you feel called, to work within the system, to create social change, lasting social change that creates a more equitable world. If you are committed to anti-racist work, if you are committed to doing these things, but you're not necessarily an organizer or a revolutionary, okay, work within the system. It takes patience, it takes commitment, and it takes a willing to do it slowly over the course of time. But understanding that you have a role to play. It really can be as small as writing letters. This is a meaningful action for social change. It's just not glamorous. But luckily, Saturn and Capricorn does not favor glamour. No, sir, it does not. It wants us to do the mundane things within society's norms in order to change or reposition society's norms, right? In these final months of Saturn and Capricorn, you want to work within the system to create changes for the structure of society and the safety and structure of your life. Saturn. Now, I got one last transit to tell you about. And don't worry, it's not a big one. It's just a lunar eclipse on the 4th of July. Okay, I was joking. It's totally a big one. This lunar eclipse, it's exact at uh, 9.44 p.m., Pacific time. So if you're on the East Coast of uh, North America or you're in Europe or whatever, if you're in lots of parts of the world, actually, it's going to actually technically be on the 5th. But if you are in America and you're shooting off fireworks, you'll be doing it in eclipse energy. If you're hiding in your closet because of how loud and just overwhelming the fireworks have been for weeks and weeks on end across this country, then we're basically uh, buzzing buddies because I will be too. I will be too. This is a really intense eclipse. And to have it on such an important political day, I think is a little concerning. Not going to lie to you. Je suis a little concerned. I'm going to drop my Astrology Hot Takes midweek episode. So I drop it like late on the 30th of June about the eclipse. So I'll just dedicate some damn time to really unpacking the eclipse for you. I'm not going to do too much of it here in this episode. But I will say this. You can look at your birth chart and see where the sign cancer is like what house it's in, if you have any planets there, and also look for the sign Capricorn. And the reason why you should do that is because the moon will be in Capricorn and the sun is in Cancer. And so a lunar eclipse is a full moon. And it is when the moon and the sun are exactly opposite each other to the degree. And in this eclipse, the moon will be in Capricorn and the sun will be in Cancer. And so if you want to know what area of your life is likely to be directly impacted during this eclipse, look for where Cancer and Capricorn fall in your chart. 
Isn't that cool? Little fun facts. So uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot that I want to talk to you about when we unpack this eclipse. But just to kind of give you a couple like tools, just as we as we're like a week out from it, eclipses are not when you do manifestation work. Eclipses are not when you do any kind of spiritual work. Don't call anything new in. The eclipse is its own energetic vortex. You don't need to do anything. Just be. Just be. There's something really valuable, especially during a full moon in Capricorn, about being in a state of reception, being in a state of taking responsibility for where you're at based on what you've already done, based on where things are, instead of trying to actively change them. This is the time to feel. It's a damn full moon. You're going to feel. Don't try to control. Don't try to direct. This isn't the time for it, you know? It's just not. This is the last eclipse that we're going to experience before the autumn of 2020. And it's a lot, you know? It's a biggie. It's a little bit of a biggie. I want to just encourage you. I want to come back to what I opened the segment out with. (laughs) And I want to really encourage you to tend to your heart, you know? It is a part worth protecting. Be gentle with yourself and take responsibility. You can't really take responsibility when you're all wrapped up in your guilt, right? You can't fully take responsibility when you're empowering yourself with defensiveness. What I noticed with the last two eclipses is how so many people are feeling so many emotions. Just it's such an overwhelming, such a powerful, such a heartbreaking, such an inspiring time. And in response to that, many people, many, many, many people who don't have the tolerance for this much emotion, instead of sitting in their emotion, are picking fights, picking battles with others. This is not a great time for that. You're going to want to do it more on that in a couple days, but you're going to want to pick battles. But this is not the time for that. Sit with your feelings. Be interested in your thoughts and your feelings. You don't need to justify yourself. You don't even need to defend yourself. You are allowed to feel whatever the fuck you feel. You just aren't entitled to act any old way you would like to act. That's the thing. So I'm going to break down way more about that in a couple days, but I just wanted to give you a little heads up there. And if you have technical questions about the eclipse, feel free to send them to me at ghostofapodcast.com. Dot com, where you should send me all of your questions. If you are looking for advice or insight, short and sweet questions get priority. So, you know, keep it cute, my loves. Keep it short and cute. As always, if you are getting a lot of value from this and you want to learn more with me, find me over at Patreon at patreon.com slash Jessica Lignetto. And I drop a monthly ghost of a podcast horoscope. Um, So I've got the the July horoscope will be up on July 1st. Also, I'm teaching Tarot over there really deep into teaching the Rider Waite deck. And we'll move into the Thoth deck soon, which is much more astrological. I'm really into it. So you can join me there, learn all kinds of steps. And uh, of course, as per usual, if you like what you're hearing over here at Ghost of a Podcast, please consider writing a review and giving me five stars. We really appreciate it. And when I say we, I do mainly mean me and my cat. He's really invested in his Apple podcast ratings, like really invested. And, you know, for me, I don't really care. Whatever. You know, it's not it's not a big deal to me. Just think of Panda Elizabeth Henry. You know, think of him. Think of him kindly. 